is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey is denied again, and Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through. Oh, it's incredible. You could not write a script like this. For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back into another edition of FUVFC, coming to you from the Rose Hill Studios of FUV, WFUV Sports Best, if not only soccer podcast here on these New York City radio airwaves. I'm James Burley, joined by Griffin Stevenson and Diego Martinez. We've got another big week of football around the globe to chop up but first of all gotta welcome my esteemed guests griffin how are you doing my friend i'm doing great how are you i'm fantastic man you guys don't usually just whip it right back to me normally so i appreciate that griffin and diego how are we my man i'm doing well mls season kicking off and with that comes a lot of joy in my life and Mm -hmm. even more joy knowing that you're doing all right oh well thank you we care about you a lot i appreciate that guys all right there's a lot of love in this room right now and there's a lot of love in the world of football, uh, you mentioned it. MLS is back. CONCACAF Champions Cup. We've got domestic cups all around the world that we're going to chop into today. It's kind of going to be the theme of today's episode. Uh, and then we've got some big results ar- as well around the top five leagues. And some of the title races getting more and more clear and more and more decided as we go. Um, so let's start in England. with. Um, we'll start with, the, I guess, just from the weekend. We can look at some of the bigger results. Um, before we look at some of the positive results from this week, Griffin, I know you want to talk about um let's start with let's start with the bad and we'll we'll talk Fulham Manchester United the first time in what how many years that Fulham had got a victory at at Old Trafford it was 20 something years and the second time since the 60s haven't lost in the month of February yeah since 2021 I believe it's wow. been like 25 matches or something like that since we've lost I it's just when you look at the team obviously Hoyland is out which impacts us a lot. We have Rashford up the middle, but it kind of reminds me of how United have been for the past five, six, seven years as you go on these good runs of form. And then you just kind of, you look at this team and you don't recognize it. We, we were very much off the pace today. Harry Maguire had, or last this weekend, Harry Maguire had a goal, like a, well, I thought would be last minute equalizer. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't have been happy with one, one, but a two, one loss at home to Fulham, before you got to go to sit, before you got to go to the Etihad, the, the empty hat, if you will, <laughs> this weekend is just very poor. And when I look at this team, I'm trying to, I guess, address what the problem is. And it always circles back to without Hoyland at striker, we don't know what we're doing offensively. And I was always that guy that was very much so, yeah, give Rashford his time. He's good. Right. But I have almost be- have become disillusioned if you will with tr- like we don't do anything creative when he's up the middle and it doesn't seem like he wants to do anything i mean we saw it even uh yesterday in the fa cup we just don't run our offense through him mm-hmm. and 
it causes a lot of stress, particularly on our midfield, which then has to kind of overcompensate. And it just really, at the end of the day, it boils down to, I don't think we have really our team identity right now. Do you feel that maybe since, you know, the the incursion of guys like Rasmus Hoyland, th- that there's been such a specific way United wants to play that when one or two pieces are missing, it's kind of like all the ideas go to the wayside almost. Because I've gotten that impression too, not not entirely, because I still think United have more ideas recently than they've had in years. But I still I got that impression recently without Hoyland in their most previous matches, and I'm curious if you agree. Well, it's definitely, I mean, United has always played very much counterattacking football we let the other teams kind of press us and we and recently when we figured out style of play we've looked very lethal but that works because like you mentioned Hoyland is so quick but mm-hmm. he's also this huge presence yeah. who can suck defenders in in Hold the mid up the ball centrally even. and then trap that ball and play it out to the wingers who mm-hmm. can then work and put it back across but when Rashford's in the game it almost seems like he's kind of just wandering looking for that long ball right and he's such so easily defended and also half the time Rashford's not the best at beating the offsides and and that's and that's kind of why he hasn't been a center forward for the last few years of his career and it's kind of he found a place really on the left wing and you know kind of lost that place year after year he kind of takes a dip and 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 you don't know what kind of Rashford you're going to get. And I think up front, you kind of definitely know which which Marcus Rashford you're going to get. And it's not going to be a successful one, unfortunately. Diego, I'm going to open this one up to you. Um, we didn't see a lot to like from Manchester United on the weekend. We saw more to like maybe this week. But overall, your your, your large impressions before we move on to maybe a different match from the weekend in England. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, okay, look, my props goes to Fulham. That's a huge win for them. Yeah, That's a yeah. huge win for them. I... You know, their first win against Manchester United in Old Trafford since October of 2003. It was 03, okay. 03. They, uh, uh, bef- uh, since that moment, they have gone uh, and lost 14 times and drawn twice. Uh, like, that's that's shocking. And for them to come uh, come away with this late winner, I mean, it's, it's huge for them. What does this say for Manchester United? I don't think as much as y'all, uh, y'all said. I don't think it's a huge loss for them. Because, like y'all mentioned, Hoyland is out. They're like they do have that play style where they do want everybody that they need to play. Um, will we see United get reinforcements? I don't know. Will we see a different manager? Uh, I know uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe is looking at. Uh, I think Zinedine Zidane. Mm. I am not sure if that's the best decision, or if it would ever happen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, however, there, like, you can really see like an actual upward trend in this season. I mean, especially ever since signing Hoyland. I mean, win or loss, there just has been like a project and a vision. Right. And so, I mean, this loss, yes, it's a loss, but you still have to put it into into context that you guys are still primed for competing for Europe. Mm-hmm. Last season, I don't know, and the season before that, like, even worse. I So, currently, y'all sit three yes. points behind, and so I feel like... That's for Europa League, though. It's still Europe, though. Mm. It's still Europe. This is Manchester United we're yeah. talking about, Diego. Although you could say that we're become more of a Europa League team. I mean, they past. have, but yeah, but Europe like, is. But Europe. that can't that can't be the goal. Mm-mm. That cannot. And and look, I'll tell you, you make a good point about United having a project and a vision. They're eight points out 
of Champions League, and in that fourth place is Aston Villa, who, you know, we weren't expecting to be the team that would, you know, kind of step into the top six. We were looking at Newcastle, really, who have had a rough go of it recently. Um, two wins in their last five, and they've slipped down to 10th in the, tab- in the table, excuse me. Uh, they lost 4-1 to Arsenal on the weekend. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but teams like Aston Villa remind us why the Premier League is such a great league, you know? Yes, the money does run it. City have won five of the last six years. But the fact remains, there is some meritocracy in there and that Aston Villa is in the top four. And that Newcastle, who did kind of throw money at a project for a while and it looked like they were doing a lot of really good things, have slipped down to 10th. Um, I'm curious if you had any you know burning opinions on Newcastle's struggles and Aston Villa's triumphs, Griffin? It's funny you, it's funny you say that because I do. I am very much... Like, I'm very curious as to how Eddie Howe is still manager, and I get that you have to give them some form of leniency, but if I'm not mistaken, they've lost six of their last seven games, and they are miles out from European football. Yeah, which it's is, not going to happen. Which is horrible for what they're trying to do, because they have the money, but they need to be able to attract players and spend it, and I was a little... That's why I kind of... At the beginning of the season, I was very iffy on Newcastle's future, because they got fourth place in the Premier League last year in chip they had Champions League and granted they do go out and get Sandro Tonali and some stuff like the Parley Pirlo I mean some stuff <laughs> some, some, some stuff is out of their hands I guess to a certain extent there but I w- was almost hoping that they would try to do a little more and I think they were like a little unfortunate they at the beginning of the year I remember they do put up they did put up some fights against the big teams but at particular beating us mm-hmm. and they have a their uh, stadium is a hard place to go to. Newcastle, Absolutely. Newcastle is one of the hardest places to play in Europe. In in Europe, but right now they are just looking like a team that is lost. And if I was a Newcastle fan, I would be very worried for where you guys go from here. Because not only does Newcastle are on this horrible run of form, they're going to lose their sporting director. They're mm-hmm. going to lose the guy who got, brought in a lot of their great players, like Anthony Gordon, and. Um, like uh, Dan Byrne, and they're going to, they're going to look and be like, where do we go from here? And I think that's a that's a good place to stop in England for for this week because we we are going to get back to it when we talk about EFL Cup from the weekend and FA Cup. Um, speaking of EFL Cup, the champions Liverpool still atop the Premier League and they're still alive in the FA Cup. I mean, I'm I'm not saying that they're going to win a treble here. They're not even in Europe, but they could win a domestic treble of sorts. I mean. They have, Europa. they have Europa yeah. League. Uh, 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 okay, <laughs> then they get they get a mini trouble, sure. But Man quadruple. City breathing, I mean, quadruple potentially. Man City breathing down their necks very heavily, just one point back in England. Let's go over to Italy, and there's just one match I want to talk about. It was actually yesterday in the league. The Coppa Italia does not resume until April, so we're not talking about that. Inter for Atalanta nil. Another team challenging for Europe. They were only just two points back of Bologna for a Champions League spot, and you think maybe that they can hang with Inter, who have just proven for the last few years that they are the new Juventus in Serie A. And that's I just want to remind people that, that that's something we've been saying for a couple years now, and it's come to fruition more than ever in Italy. So hats off to Inter Milan and their massive victory there. Let's go over to Spain now, where we saw Sevilla go to the brink with Real Madrid, and it took an 81st-minute winner from Luka Modric, and, you know, we talked two, three weeks ago maybe about Sevilla being in danger of relegation. <clears throat> they don't get a single point in this one, 
but they kind of proved that they are above that conversation and now sitting six points out. I'm going to throw this one over to you, Diego, because you are a Madrista here. What did you see from this performance? Was it not your convincing Madrid performance that we've been, you know, clamoring about that they kind of over, they leapfrogged Girona in the, in, in the title race, but now they had to win it late against a, a struggling Sevilla side, to say the least. Is that any at all, at all worrying to you? And I'd be surprised if you said yes. <laughs> Great question, but uh, yeah, no, it doesn't worry me. I mean, uh, Real Madrid is football heritage. It, it, this is football heritage. It, this is football heritage. If you look at like what actually happened throughout the game, Real Madrid were being put to the test. Mm-hmm. And then Luka Modric, a player that has really, in my opinion, been disrespected by this, in this club, being given a more reserved role... Um, mm. comes on and scores the scores an absolute class goal. The celebration you can see the absolute love he has for this club, and this is kind of what Real Madrid is about. Class is permanent. Like this is what Real Madrid stands for. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did this against uh, Manchester City in the Champions League. I remember the the famous stat of ninety nine percent chance of losing, and yet they won anyway. Does it worry me that Real Madrid inevitably wins every time? Now that I say that out loud, that just sounds like a bro, silly knock question. knock on wood, bro. Hey. hey. That, is that coming through back there? Trey, did you get that? Okay, good. <laughs> we got it. All I'm Shout saying. Shout out to Trey behind the glass. All I'm saying is if you mess with Madrid, Madrid will bring it. We'll mm-hmm. bring it. And look, Luka Modric's going to be 39 in September, and I don't think he's really lost much of a step. Um, I obviously Jude Bellingham is there, Fede Valverde is there. The the opportunities in midfield for a guy like Luka Modric are going to dwindle ever so slightly. But I think you're right. He's been absolutely disrespected. He's what four, three years removed from a Ballon d'Or, mm-hmm. and you know as controversial as that Ballon d'Or might have been to some people, he did win a Champions League and take his country to a World Cup final in the same calendar year. So I think he's a pretty spectacular individual, and I I, I think he's the type of guy that. You know, when when it's all said and done and we look at his career, we're going to be thinking of him as perhaps the best midfielder, if not top two, top three midfielders of his generation. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, to look at the game in another perspective, Sevilla, Sergio Ramos making his way <laughs> back to the Bernabeu. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy for him to get the love. I mean, the fans certainly gave him a lot of love. Hey, he's a legend. And, and I, gave, I gave him the love because, I mean, if you're a Madrista, you rate him. Well, in the, I'm just going to cut you off for a second mm-hmm. because... I'm saying all these great things about Luka Modric. Do you believe Sergio Ramos is the best center back of his generation? Yeah, I do. I, I do as well. I, I, I mean, I I love the fact that I have to think about it as mm-hmm. a Madrista because that just means the amount of class that we've seen this generation with defenders. Yeah. However, Ramos is the one guy, he doesn't care where his feet end up. He will tackle something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And... I, I just think that's beautiful. A fun fact, or a kind of a shocking fact, he never got a red card with the Spain national team. <laughs> he, <laughs> that's I, hilarious. It, he's known for that, but yet he, he is like also one of just the smartest and most physical guys in world football. His center back partner was Pepe for a while. Yeah. Could you imagine a more chaotic pairing of center defenders to have to go up against? Uh, I'd rather if if you gave me the assignment to you know hey um 
If you're going to be scoring against those two guys, I'm just not going. I'm you don't staying home. Play. I'm staying well, home. Well, look, I, that was a nice little stroll down memory lane. Maybe next week or something we have an episode where we just, you know, rate our, like, five or six favorite players at each position <laughs> from our lifetimes, and we maybe do, like, a fantasy draft or something. It's just coming to me now. All-time Definitely. Exile, we that, should that, I'm like, that would yeah, be legendary. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, like, you take Sergio Ramos center back. Maybe I take Tiago Silva. Maybe you take Van Dyke. I don't know. Yeah, we'll it have is to... Van Dyke, but we'll, we'll talk about that another time. Okay, we'll talk about that another yeah, time. Yeah, we'll yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. that another time. Let's go over to Germany. Let's talk Bundesliga. Um, well, other actually, real quick, other results of note. Barcelona 4, Hetafe 0, Atletico Madrid 2, Almeria 2, and Atletico Madrid currently live now and down against Atletico Bilbao in the Copa del Rey, which we're going to talk about in a minute after we get through all the top five leagues. Um, once again... Bayern, by the skin of their teeth, getting by uh, Erby Leipzig. And what can I say about Leverkusen other than the fact that they are going to run away with this league, it seems. Uh, and I, I just can't believe that that's just the, the language I'm saying about the Bundesliga. On the road, Leverkusen took down Heidenheim uh, two weeks ago. And then on the weekend, actually on Friday, they take down Mainz. Who, and, and it looked like they maybe were going to be out of it. Granit Xhaka scored early on. And then they leveled it, Mines, through Dominic Kaur. And then it took until a long battle of just... I've tried to watch the highlights of this game, and it was more like the lowlights uh, and the amount of just, like, scrappiness it took for Leverkusen to get over the edge. Robert Andrik scores before Mines goes to 10 men. And Leverkusen has really been, I think, across the entirety of the top five leagues in Europe, the story of football this season. Uh, Griffin, anything you want to add about these weekend's results in the Bundesliga. Dortmund also fell at home to, to uh, Hoffenheim. You know, I think the results kind of speak for themselves. I think these these teams kind of do what they did best. Bayern eke, ekes out wins when maybe they should lose, but you know, they're like, oh, they're Bayern, they're going to win. And it's Harry Kane, man. Yeah, Leverkusen scores grit. But one thing I want to point out, when I look at this Bundesliga table, there's a team in third by the name of Stuttgart. Stuttgart who we and, haven't talked about. And they survived relegation playoffs last season. Yeah. Finished the season in 16th. They are now on a four-game win streak in third place, and that is super impressive uh-huh. to me. Yeah, and it, and it's and it comes quietly because of what Leverkusen yeah. have done. You know what I mean? Like, if in other years, if if the table said Bayern one, Dortmund two, Stuttgart three, all we'd be talking about is Stuttgart. But they haven't gotten a single second of the time of day. Uh, Diego, I'll throw this one over to you. I, I is it maybe our own faults? for not noticing something like Stuttgart because we expect the Bundesliga to just be Bayern's league like year after year. Yeah, yeah, it is because of it. Yeah, it's Bayern's league. It's been Bayern's league. However, there's also a different perspective that I've always really enjoyed about the Bundesliga is even if we knew who was going to be number one, two to the bottom was never guaranteed. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, yes, you have giants like RB Leipzig, like Dortmund, uh, now Leverkusen, but I mean, you can really see this going on in any Bundesliga season. And I mean, looking at Stuttgart, I mean they have some great players. I mean, I really rate uh, Hiroke Ito as a defender. Dude has just been insane, and uh, uh, Silias as well. Absolutely, like I rate him He's a lot. Baller on the wing, he um, can move. And, and, you know, I feel like the strengths when it comes to these teams like Stuttgart, like um, Leverkusen, is picking up guys that nobody else would and turning them into gems. And it's something that Leverkusen and I would say Hirona have done at the top end of each of their respective leagues in terms of getting players who, you know, maybe 
you know, couldn't have lasted so much as a bench player on your Barcelona's, your Real Madrid's, your Bayern's, your your Irby Leipzig's, and have turned them into you know bona fide world beaters at the top level in these divisions. Um, Stuttgart have kind of silently done a similar thing, whereas I don't think these players would really have a lot of time on a team like Leverkusen, on a team like maybe even Borussia Mönchengladbach, but they've turned those guys into players that you can really rely on and count on, and they're playing a really cohesive brand of football. Guys like Chris Fulrich on the opposite wing to Silas, and, and uh, uh, I mean, Mohamed Dahoud coming off the bench in the middle on loan. So I, I, they have a lot of firepower throughout the team that doesn't get a lot of credit. Griffin, I'm very glad you pointed that out. We're going to wrap up top five discussion in France, as we often do, with perhaps the least exciting of these top five <laughs> leagues, unfortunately. Something that's fun. PSG drew at home to Stade René, who are currently still climbing their way up the table um, in a conversation for playing in Europe. Uh, nice did fall by the wayside. Monaco have jumped into the uh, Champions League spot uh, behind Brestois. Lille, Lens, René, Rem, all between four points. And you factor in Marseille, it's all between five points for the last uh, uh, Europa Conference League spot. And they're just two points shy of Nice for a Europa League spot. So everything's up for grabs in France, really, within the next... Uh, five or six weeks, we're going to find out who really has a chance. Lyon, who we were very worried about being in the relegation zone, much to the degree of Sevilla, have clawed their way out completely. They're in the 10th position now, six points out of the playoff for relegation. And like the Bundesliga, as you previously mentioned, you finish 16th, you play off with a third-place team in League 2 or the Bundesliga second division in Germany's case. And I actually love that system. Uh, it's, it's, it's more meritocratic, and it just puts more on the line for that one match uh, or two-leg matches. It, it's, I think, quite the spectacle, and um, I think we miss out a lot, not only because we don't have re- promotion and relegation in this country, but because we don't have the stakes like this in matches like those. But let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, Continental Cups uh, domestically that, that occurred over the uh, over the past weekend, and we'll start it with Liverpool's victory over Chelsea and Depth, depth, depth is kind of the mantra here. If you look at the lineup that was put out by both of these sides, but more so for Liverpool, of course, um, Virgil van Dijk gets a 118-minute winner, and it kind of looked like the game was just about to trend the other way towards the shirts in blue, but ultimately Liverpool claim the trophy and come out victorious in the Carabao Cup. Diego, you're shaking your head no. Just jump in, man. What happened in this one? This one hurts more than, um, like, I don't even know. This one hurts, man. Because um, it's absolute. like, I, I, I don't think we're stressing how bad Chelsea um, played, honestly. Um, it was, like, absolutely disgusting that we didn't come out with a win. Um, I, I saw in a press conference that uh, Pochettino um, said that they were playing for penalties. I mean, what a pathetic way to play. I'm sorry, you cannot go into this game, I'll cut final, against Liverpool, who are currently leaders in the league and have depth for days, and play for penalties. That is ridiculous. That it, like, it doesn't matter how you play, who you play with, if you play against this level of a team, with a lot of injuries on your roster, if you're going to lose. Do you think if they, you know, maybe played a more instead of a conservative approach, a little more dynamic, a little more risky, that this result would have gone their way? I mean, the shots are pretty level. The possession was fairly level. Um, about 100 more passes for Liverpool, so maybe they had a bit more of the ball, but 
if Chelsea maybe put tried to put their own stamp on this game play at their own pace, you think that they wouldn't have gotten exposed by Liverpool, who are, let's face it, a, a, a level above this Chelsea team, but despite being without many players. You think that would have been a more fruitful approach for this Chelsea team? I 100% think that that would have been the, not only the more fruitful, but the correct decision mm-hmm. to go to. Because, um, it, I, I look, it's a mentality thing. You don't see a Man City team go into the Champions League final and go, oh, let's just play to penalties. You don't see... Man City also doesn't have Nico Jackson as their striker, though. Let's be real. <laughs> let's be real. But also, you don't see teams like Liverpool in the Europa League, I mean, do the same mentality. No, they go and win, and they want to win by as much as possible. For Pochettino to just entertain, and not even just entertain, but like confirm the fact that they were playing for penalties, and they said it would be good for us, that's just... I want to see dynamic football. I want to see riskier shots. I want to see these players who are very skilled. Connor Gallagher, Raheem Sterling, Caicedo, Enzo Fernandez, these guys are very creative. And Kunku off the bench. Exactly. And so I, it's just limiting the one thing you have going for you. And it, it's sad. I mean, you. if I can just jump in here, you guys needed to win this. It was. Is this not Chelsea's best chance at a trophy? It, it, it is. is, and like I was saying with when Manchester United won it last year, sometimes you just need to see one go in, and I can't mm-hmm. think of a team that just needs to see one go in more than Chelsea True. did. And as Gary Neville said, it was Klopp's kids versus the billion-pound bottle jobs, and I think it was kind of like a youth match. I think you guys have a lot of young players. The issue is Liverpool's players all come from their academy, and your guys' players are on eight-year, $100 million contracts. And I think it starts from the top down with Chelsea, from my understanding of things. And Todd Bowley, first of all, if we can go back to the beginning here, I don't know why you fire... I don't know why um, you fire Thomas Tuchel. That doesn't make... Uh, both sides have been poor after that. And then you have Graham Potter, who gets his signings, but you look at Pochettino, he's having a very, very similar record that uh, each of the previous two yeah that each of the previous two had and I am very surprised that as we sit here and talk about Chelsea right now that Pochettino still has a residence in England I I, I think the writing's on the wall that's what I want to ask yeah. you Diego do you think Pochettino is here by the end of the season or by the start of next season because for me if I was a Chelsea fan I would want nothing to do with him to be quite frank that's a tough question because I have two different answers. Whether it's do I want Pochettino to last until the end of the season, or what I think, what do I think? I want him out. I I've had I honestly I would have patience with him if I were to see inspiring football. I don't see that. Will he stay? Yes. <laughs> I've heard billions of reports from all every single outlet and every single person within Chelsea Football Club, and the agreement is. The board likes Pochettino. The board trusts him. The board is willing to give him at least a full season, uh, another full season. Whether that's like, like, whether that's making Diego Martinez it, it, here in the Bronx happy, <laughs> I mean, that's that's irrelevant. I I personally think that's the stupidest decision because I mean, it, it's similar to the Bayern situation of should they let go of uh, Thomas Tuchel. Do you bring? Speaking of him, do you bring him? Do, would you take him back? Because he's gone at the end of this year. Would at the end of the season? Do you? 
do you take Tuchel back at Chelsea if he wants to come back? <sighs> they say never go back to your ex, but I might have to I do mean, it this one a Champions time. League. Yeah, I might have yeah. to do it this one time. You know, um, I still can't. Yeah, I I think that's a good place to go back to. Is kind of we've seen pretty continuity from from Chelsea. I would say following the Champions League victory, it's been kind of a lot of the same. And yeah. that's three managers differently now. Yeah. So I think that the the issues definitely run deeper. I think you can blame Pochettino for a lot, and I can understand why you might not want to do a lot with him. But the next hire for Chelsea seems like the biggest one they've had to get right in a very, very long time. They got Tuchel right, I think. I mean, how could you say they didn't get it right? They won a Champions League. Exactly. But this next one, it feels like they're going to have to abandon ship on a lot of work in progress if they don't get it right. Uh, staying on the topic of Chelsea, we're going to talk FA Cup. They're still alive. So you may not think that they have another chance at a trophy because if I look around who's still else in the uh, quarterfinals, Man City's got Newcastle after you know they, they crawled by Luton Town. Chelsea's got Leicester. Chelsea beat Leeds. Leicester took out Bournemouth on the road, actually. A good result for them after being relegated. United and Liverpool on March the 16th. That's going to be a tasty one. Um, it's going to be at Old Trafford as well. Wolves against Coventry, so I guess, you know, you've got Coventry who took out Maidstone United 5-0. They got a very generous draw in the fifth round, so good for them to still be alive. Um, if Chelsea, Chelsea are the favorite against Leicester. There's, there's, no, there's no denying that. If they get through them and don't face either Liverpool or City in the semifinal, or United, or Newcastle, then you've got to pencil them in as being able to go into the final. So if they get by Leicester and play the winner of Wolves and Coventry in the semis, then maybe we do see Chelsea with another chance at a trophy. But let's go back to how United got there. 1-0 over Nottingham Forest. Some more good stuff we saw from Manchester United. Gio Reyna on the other end, I'm just going to mention, this dude just doesn't play, man. He just no. like he just went to he's going to Nottingham Forest just to live in a country that speaks English. I don't know. But I mean, he he came off the bench for about 12 seconds there. Casemiro with an 89th minute winner, uh, a guy who's been getting a lot of criticism uh, for the Red Devils, and he is the difference maker on this one this week, Griffin. It, I, I agree it was a big game for Casemiro. I also think it was a big game for Bruno Fernandes. Yes. I think he's been getting a lot of heat in the media, but he created way more chances uh, yesterday than he has. Honestly, I, he, he hasn't looked himself for the most part for this season, and as for what that problem is, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, it, it's got to be hard leading this Manchester United team right now due to how yeah. due to how things are going. But I will say I'm glad we won. It's what I was expecting us to do, and it's what we should have done. But I think we have to pick it up a lot more if we're going to beat this Liverpool team in the quarterfinal, which I think we can do because it's at Old Trafford, hard place to play. By March 16th, we should have Hoyland back. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately... We might not. We're we're not going to have Luke Shaw back, but I think Sofian Amrabat can do it. Yeah, job. yeah, I think he can. But I just worry about how this team has always been able to rely on their defense for the most part, uh -huh. and th like that's how we got a draw at Anfield, and that's how we got third place in the Premier League last season. Yeah. I mean, we got this is true. De Gea got the Gold Glove because we had 15 clean sheets. But if we these defensive injuries, we can't afford to have any more, or else it is going to look very bleak for our outcome in the cup. But I will say, Premier League title race is competitive now. In about three weeks, gonna probably still going to be just the same amount of competitiveness. And 
Liverpool now be moving on to Europa League, um, Europa League round of 16, and they will be looking to make sure that they are staying in it in mm-hmm. the league. And I think they might yeah. start Klopp's kids. I was going to say, against Manchester I was gonna say we, can, we can expect a pretty similar, if not even more rotated lineup for this match than we did in the League Cup final. Um, I think that's obviously, it's United-Liverpool. That's the one that everybody's going to be watching in the FA Cup quarterfinal. But City-Newcastle is going to be a cracker of a game as well because Newcastle will definitely realize this is their best chance at a trophy, whereas City are are one year removed from a treble. It's not like they're going to be throwing Holland and De Bruyne out there for 90 minutes to get a win there. Um, And, you know, they're going to be fighting for a Premier League as well too. So I think that one's going to be great. Chelsea are going to probably bring a lot of firepower against Leicester, who, you know, aren't the Leicester of 2015-16, but still have a winning pedigree within their ranks and may try to make it difficult for Chelsea. I think there's this is a this is as good of a of a FA Cup quarterfinals you could have. You've got representation from Coventry and Leicester City yeah. holding the ranks of non-Premier League sides and then, you know, you've got absolute bangers in United and Liverpool. So I think there's a lot to like about the FA Cup moving forward. Um, we've reached halftime between Athletic Bilbao and Atletico Madrid in the Copa del Rey semifinals, who the winner will go on to face Mallorca, who took Real Sociedad down in penalties, an absolute underdog story at its finest. And once again, Bilbao won 1-0 at the Metropolitano and now lead 2-0 at the break. They're leading an aggregate 3-0, a mountain to climb for Diego Simeone's men. And normally, um, it's the other way around, where... You know, they're not really chasing so many leads so much as they are just protecting a fragile one. Uh, I think you can go ahead and pencil in Bilbao into the final. Um, and good for them being one of the more traditional teams in the Spanish region who, I guess, haven't gotten so much of their uh, their due diligence lately. Yeah, uh, we are seeing some Basque brilliance by Bilbao. <laughs> I mean, I, I I love this club. I think they're, they're run super smart. I think... We we see some example of this uh, down in Liga MX, but um, Chivas with Chivas. Um, but how amazing is it in the Copa del Rey to see both the Williams brothers scoring each against, of the wings? Yeah, uh, uh, against Atlético Madrid. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's what a game to 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 lead your team. And, and the second half has just kicked off. Yeah, it's it's gonna be a great second half. I do see a lot of fight in Atletico, but it's not <laughs> yeah, they're known for that. <laughs> they're known for that, but um, but I mean, it's Athletic Club hosting. They're having fun out there, and I think they're just gonna pull away. And you know, they're trying to take it on for the next round. I mean, I mean, D- uh, Memphis Depay is the big name on the bench. For Atletico Madrid, you have to imagine they're going to throw him up front, unless unless to Angel, next, excuse me, to Angel Correa and, and Alvaro Morata, because this is not a team that just scores goals in bunches. They're a team that scores one goal and bunkers. Um, so I think that we'll keep our eye on the result. Maybe we'll. Uh, I think we may finish the episode before we find out a final result there. But if we get close, we'll let you know. Um, let's take a look real quick at the Coupe de France. I know we maybe don't know a whole lot about this uh, competition. But there are some sexy matchups in the quarterfinal of this competition. Uh, I'm going to try my best to say this team's name, but I'll get there in a second. Lyon and Strasbourg, two first division sides, went to penalties. Lyon has advanced to the semis. Valenciennes of the second division of League Two took out Rouen, who are third division side, in penalties. So these are getting real, real tight. Playing today are Rene and Lepaifoot. 
I guess, 43 is in their team name. <laughs> it, looks like my, uh, it looks like my French test average. Right. Uh, F, yes. F43 <laughs> uh, yeah. averaging. Le Pue Foot Avernay. 43 fourth division side taking Stade Rene who by the way just drew PSG on the weekend so that's a pretty pretty good matchup if I, if I say so myself and then PSG Nice uh, they play in a couple weeks to to round out the quarterfinals so that's just a little check-in at what magic these cups can bring and this is why we love these cups and this is going to bring me to a bit of a more solemn discussion we just found out and it's going to be announced officially um, it's still it's technically official, but they haven't announced it in the league. In America, we have one of the greatest, most storied domestic cup competitions in the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. It used to be called the National Challenge Cup. Now, the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. It, it, it exists now um, in its 111th or 110th edition. I'm not sure. It's an older competition than many uh, domestic cups, even in some of the best countries in Europe. Your Houston Dynamo are the defending champions. Um and we just found out that only eight MLS teams are going to be participating in it this year. Eight MLS Next teams. And that's going to round out the field um, in terms of Major League Soccer's uh, participation in the Cup, which is so disappointing to me for what this comp- competition used to be. Um, this is, for me, this is the U.S. soccer heritage. This competition exists as, as a way for us to realize how much this sport has grown. Um, you know, teams like the Bethlehem Steel, who were, you know, a bunch of amateurs in Pennsylvania who won five years running and, and are the, the all-time leaders of the competition, you know, like that sort of history, I guess you can say that maybe there's another chance for a lower division team to win it because there are fewer MLS teams, but what Major League Soccer is trying to do to this competition and that it's trying to separate themselves from it, it just waters down the attention it gets it waters down the significance of it and to me that's that's so disgraceful for how much I love this tournament for how much this tournament should mean to American soccer fans and how much it should definitely mean to the organizers of Major League Soccer I know a lot of the teams aren't happy with the decision to remove a lot of the clubs it was not in their hands so I hear Um, but Diego you watched your Houston Dynamo defeat Inter-Miami in the final last year and I'm sure that was one of their better moments you've had as a football fan, just because it meant a lot to win a trophy, watch your team do something that so few teams have done before in this country. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm curious if, if you have any other opinion besides mine on this Open Cup being, you know, not the same as it's been before. It's really disappointing to me. Yeah, um, <laughs> um it's uh I'm I'm thinking of the moment uh I I the final whistle of blue last yeah. um last year and um you know it's special to see the team that you grew up watching um win silverware. I mean, I saw it in 2018 and it was the same feeling, but especially now, I mean, as as against I'm against Messi too. Ag- against yeah. Messi's Miami like, and like Messi played in this competition and now they're like taking it away. Like that and, that was that that was such a great thing. You had Messi in the yeah. US Open Cup final, the same thing that 110 years ago this, people you'd never heard of fighting for the same trophy. This this is honestly one of the most heartbreaking stories. I it's um, so devastating. In 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 soccer because you know, I I um literally 2022 we saw a USL team make the final. Did they lose 3-0? Yes. They they made it to a final. It it showed that the magic is still there. Mm-hmm. The magic is right. proud and loud. And for Major League Soccer to do this 
it is a crime against the sport. And and it's and yes, you can say it opens up the field for lower division teams to maybe be more successful, but that makes it less significant. FC Cincinnati's their their run in 2017 where they went to the semifinal. That's the reason they're in Major League Soccer exactly. now. Exactly. Sacramento FC. Um, they were they had a bid. They they, they, they had a bid. They had a bid. They were in the US Open and Cup final several years ago. Um the Rochester Raging Rhinos, the last team not in MLS to win it in 1996 or 95 and then go to the final again in 08, I believe. They don't exist anymore. They were they were rebranded to Rochester New York FC. Jamie Vardy was a part owner, and now that team doesn't exist. And it's kind of because of the decentification, uh, so so to speak, of this competition it's, that it's used to be historic and used to be so heartbreaking. It's this is heartbreaking. I mean, Griffin, do you have any sort of feeling about it? I mean, I think anytime you take away competitive and exciting, especially tournament play in the sport of well. In this country, it would be a soccer tournament. I think it's never good for the enjoyment. I think, if anything, it goes against what a lot of the fans here in this country want, and that's they want yeah. more stakes and mm-hmm. they want more hundred percent and they want yeah. more yes. to be on the line. 100%. And so, by removing something like that, you are only hindering, I think, fan experience in in this country. You're one hundred percent correct, and I guess they're doing this. In favor of the League's Cup, which I suppose could bring you more money. You bring Liga MX fans over, and there are more of them, even in America, than there are MLS fans. So, I don't blame... I. It's not. No, I do blame them, but I don't... I'm not going to be naive and say I don't get where they're coming from. There's more money to be made by prioritizing League's Cup. 100%. Um, but that's kind of disgusting to me uh, in its own right. With that said, let's take a look. At this league domestically, let's take a look at Major League Soccer and what went on, particularly in the New York area, with respect to New York City Football Club and the New York Red Bulls. NYCFC went on the road to Charlotte, um, and God, they looked terrible. Awful. I'm, I'm going to say this. They had awful. 63% possession, but looked like they had no idea what to do with the ball when they had it at their feet. And that's that's concerning because New York City FC have, have commanded this... Um, identity for themselves as one of the teams that holds the ball in major league soccer they're they are a possession team in a league that doesn't have a lot of pretty possession soccer you know they they're no team in the eastern conference at least is better at getting the ball out of their back line and into the opposing team's half and this was the struggle they had all of last year on all of 2022 until they got to the playoffs really was can they confirm that when they get the ball into the attacking half, that they have options to create chances and score goals. They didn't have any of that against Charlotte. And to Charlotte's credit, they played a good counterattacking game. They knew what they were going to be be fed up, uh, be be up against against New York City, and they got an early goal, and that's all that they needed. And that's all a lot of teams ever need against the New York City FC. And in a, to a different degree, the New York Red Bulls. An early goal is enough to wipe those teams out. Um, Diego, I'm going to go to you on this one. Didn't see much new from New York City in their first game out this year. Nick Cushing is already on the hot seat for how bad they were last year, and his seat just got a little bit hotter. Yeah, it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. I I feel like I've used the, the word disgusting 80 billion times throughout this show, uh, which pains me, but I... Watching the game, seeing like 
just the general stats that they were pulling up, and expected goals for Charlotte was like one, and they did that. For New York City FC, it was 0.002. I didn't even know that was possible. 0.002, not even like 0.2. We haven't played a single game. And, and, And that's not to say that I thought, Charlotte Charlotte played their game correctly. Yes, you know, they but did. but they didn't look super dangerous no. in their own right either outside of Malanda's one goal. No, 100% and you know, new manager Dean Smith, uh-huh. legendary, legendary manager, manager. Legendary, but new manager regardless. So they're adjusting. They're figuring stuff out. They love these early wins because it's just an opportunity for them to speed the up that rolling. process. Yep. For New York City FC, you should have already been established. You've had Nick Cushing for more than uh, now, more than a season, and you know what? I, yeah. you've signed a bunch of players, especially in your attack, to fix the problem, which was to score goals. And you are starting the season by not scoring goals. It is a problem. It's not hard to understand. It's like, it's, it's a problem that it's. We've never had in the history of this club. I mean, we've always had very good. I mean, I mean, there's one name that sticks there, out more than name, others. Yeah, David um, Villa, World uh, Cup winner. I was thinking, uh, Tati and then Castellanos. Tati Castellanos. Tati Castellanos. Um, and and for both of them to go, and now, f- I'm not even asking you for a legendary striker. I mean, Munsef Bakrar has 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 a good enough resume that to suggest that he's good for ten goals maybe in an MLS season. But on how many shots? That's the real <laughs> question. Okay. And I would up. Well, they gotta give him the ball for. They gotta give him service first. You know, Th- there's like so many problems that like it's like a puzzle. But half of the like pieces you left at Walmart, <laughs> like it, it's impossible. Yeah. And and so I don't want to go on a long tangent, but we need to do better. Is is the four two three one the new four four two? Because I've noticing that every team that ha- plays lazy, uninspired, fo- uh, uninspired soccer runs the four-two-three-one, and it's a formation that, in theory, should work for this New York uh, New York City FC team because they have a guy that's kind of an out-and-out attacking f- a forward, and then they have a lot of more free-flowing midfielders uh-huh. with like Santi Rodriguez, but it doesn't really work when you just kind of have a bunch of guys running around and not like linking up with their yeah. and you can see it based on the player ratings for the match i mean the spine of the team seems to be doing fine yeah. but they just and have absolutely zero creativity when it comes to moving the ball outside of that and i i think with the new players that you're going to see get introduced it it was always going to be a bit of a learning curve but to pl- to play a team like charlotte right out the gate and to not look like you had anything going on is concerning for sure. It's not going to get exactly easier for them either. Next week, or sorry, this coming weekend, they play St. Louis City on the road. Um, and now St. Louis, they're out of Champions Cup. They they played um, Champions Cup tw- uh, on February the 20th and February the 27th. They had a match in between then. Um, and they didn't really play their strongest side against RSL and got a draw at home. If you, look, if, you t- if you ask me, RSL probably a bit stronger team on paper at the moment than New York City. So I think the St. Louis team is going to be coming in with a lot to prove now that they're focusing on just their MLS season. I think it's going to be a really, really tough matchup this weekend for the Citizens. Yeah, and you know I just want to throw a stat comparison real quick. Do because, it. Because um, 
the other New York team, the Red Bulls, yep. also failed to score, and they're well. Draw, that's not new. Um, that's that's nothing new there. Nashville SC, but I want to break it down and just compare the two because mm. they were wildly different games. This is true. NYCFC finished with an expected goals of zero point five. New York Red Bulls finished with an expected goal of one point four eight. Basically, even if the Red Bulls fail to score. It still shows that they have, like, the capacity to put them in. I remember, they put it on the woodwork, like, 80 they million hit, they, times. They hit two crossbars. Yeah, there was a magnet in there for sure. So, yeah. it's, like, for the Red Bulls, I don't know how much it's going to change, but I know they're going to be putting in more goals. I know that's for sure. NYCFC, they're going to keep playing like this and keep not scoring. Well, well let, let's talk about the Red Bulls then, because that's where we were going next. Nil-nil on the weekend against Nashville, and if you know anything about Nashville SC, they're kind of the Atletico Madrid of Major League Soccer. Big time. In that they <laughs> just park the bus, and they, and they and they are really good defensively. They've had some of the best defensive uh, metrics over the last few years in Major League Soccer, and as a newer team, that's really tough to do to figure out one style of play. Um, and they have also an entirely New York Red Bulls midfield with Sean Davis, who actually wore the captain's armband for Nashville this week and the former Red Bulls captain Drew Yearwood who was on the Red Bulls for the past uh, two and a half seasons as well as Alex Mweel who was on the 2018 Red Bulls supporter shield team along with Sean Davis uh, and all three of those guys started in midfield let's not forget Dax McCarty was captaining Nashville SC just a year ago so that train keeps on pulling midfielders from the Red Bulls ranks into Nashville and we saw Sean Davis with a high boot early in the game that was initially given red and then later downgraded to yellow um, the decision, you know, could have gone either way for me. If that it goes red, there's no way the Red Bulls don't win this game by a multitude of goals. They absolutely had their way with Nashville, but just couldn't find the back of the net. Dante Von Zier, um, for as awful of a 2023 he had, both on the pitch and off the pitch, uh, he had an absolutely, I thought, an inspiring game, even though he didn't score. He chipped Joe Willis in such a way, hit the post on that effort, though, uh, Frankie Amaya hit the crossbar in the second half. Emil Forsberg hit the crossbar from a free kick. Joe Willis had a number of big saves, and only till the end did it look like Nashville ever was going to have anything on goal. So I think we like a lot from what we saw from the Red Bulls in their first match, but it's also a lot of the same. They defend well, and against a team like Nashville who sits in, you know, they have chances here and there, but they ultimately don't score, and you think, well, the expected goals are good. You know, they, 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 they limit the other team's chances a lot. Goals are going to come. That was, the, that was the language at the beginning of last year, and it was the language for a lot of 2022. They did finish fourth in the Eastern Conference that year. Lewis Morgan had 18 goals in all competitions. Last year, their most goal score was their highest goal scorer was Omir Fernandez with six. So with Emil Forsberg here now and Dante Van Zier hopefully having a full season, one without a suspension for using racist language and one without uh, being marred by injuries, you think that the goals actually might come this year. Yeah, look, and just to quickly throw this out, um, they were playing away. They weren't playing at Red Bull. Mm-hmm. I mean, playing at Geodis Park. A packed out 30,000 yeah. crowd at Geodis Park. Playing at Geodis is very tough. I mean, it, Nashville has never beaten the Red Bulls. This is true. They, they have never beaten the Red Bulls, and this continues now. And and, and But let, let's also be clear, it wasn't, it wasn't a full Nashville squad having just played on the week uh, in, in Champions Cup. But c- continue. But, yeah, I mean... It it just continues. Can't win against the Red Bulls. I just want to like quickly shout out um, Emil Forsberg 
such an inspiring debut. Yeah. Such an inspiring Very debut lively. for him. You can really see that there is like a, a culture change within this Red Bulls team that wants it just a little bit more than they have the the past couple of years. Like there is a the, a, renou- a renewed hunger in this team. And and so when you asked, will the goals come? I think they will. I think th- they look it looks more promising now than it has in the past. I think like Diego was saying, watching the game Forsberg, I not to not to put down, I guess, the MLS, but when you watch him play, you can tell that he's a little different. Mm-hmm. In the way that he so smoothly moves with the ball and has more composed touches and distribution to his teammates, I think that'll bring up the level of a lot of other players around him. And I think, like what, what Diego was saying, is if Forsberg continues to play this well, which I think he can, It'll just kind of boost everyone around him, and that should lead to, hopefully, a playoff-worthy New York Red Bulls team, at least this season. Yeah, and, I mean, that's kind of been the Red Bulls thing. Make the playoffs, make the playoffs, and go out one or two games in. With Emil Forsberg, the idea is that now they have a player who can win a match in a moment's notice. And he he looked like he had that capability against Nashville. Ultimately, it didn't happen. Um, But, Diego, we know... Where they go next in their match, they're traveling down south to Hell in the Shell to, to Shell Energy Stadium, formerly BBVA Compass Stadium, now <laughs> Shell Energy Stadium. But the color scheme still works perfectly, so it's okay. It still that works. Beautiful orange seats and everything. So they're going to go to Houston this Saturday night, and this is a Houston team that's going to be very confident, but also probably not going to have their best guns out there in totality, at least. Yeah, very depleted. I mean. I love my Houston Dynamo. Um, I will defend them until I die. But they are missing some key, uh, some key players. Hector Herrera, you know, their best player, their yeah. best player. They, they, they're 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 um, closest equivalent to an Emil Forsberg. Uh, uh, I don't know Herrera. You know, plays with a little bit more confidence. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, all right, all right. All right. Um, but. Um, you're also missing Sebas Ferreira, which is supposed to be your number he needs nine. To be, yeah, he's your guy up um, front. But we did get back Amin Basi. Amin Basi, who is, um, who's your creative piece in the which, middle. Yeah, he's our creative piece. And we still got players like uh, Sebastian Kalujic, who was has been brilliant so far. I've been so impressed with him. Um, Carrasquilla. Coco Carrasquilla. Um, took the league by storm in the past couple seasons. Definitely. And, and Steve Clark putting up great performances uh, to start off the season. That's, that's an MLS Cup winning goalkeeper in Steve Clark. So, I, I mean, that's going to be a, that's going to be a better game I think than than we'll see between um uh of the weekend. Uh let's take a look at the Champions Cup because we've mentioned it with Houston yeah. Dynamo came back uh winning on away goals against St. Louis having uh taken the aggregate away from them. Uh so that was a big result, but elsewhere in the region Herediano, one of the better sides in Costa Rica, taking down Toluca. That was a couple weeks ago, just to catch you up to speed. Philadelphia Union and Saprissa. They every time these two teams meet in the Champions Cup, not only do we get the most uh, raucous display of Brexit tackles, but the score lines are always ridiculous. Uh, Philly six, Saprissa five on aggregate, and of course two red cards across both legs. Uh, FC Cincy doing what they do best, just dominating Cavalier. Nashville took out Mocha. New England plays Independiente of Panama tonight, but um, they're already 1-0 ahead on aggregate. Now they're coming home, so you expect the MLS Originals to go through. We've got some big matchups in the next round, starting this coming week. Orlando City and Tigres. 
Uh, sorry, Orlando, but that's going to be the end of your run. Philadelphia and Pachuca, that's a tasty one because Pachuca have been really good in Liga MX, and we all know how the Philadelphia Union, how good they've been over the last four or five years in Major League Soccer. We've got the greatest rivalry in North American soccer between Chivas de Guadalajara and Club America. That one's on Wednesday. Houston Dynamo take on the reigning MLS Cup champions in Columbus. And then we've got actually an all-Caribbean match, or sorry, not all-Caribbean, but an all uh, Central American versus Caribbean matchup in Herediano against Robin Hood of Suriname. So that's going to be a big, big matchup there as well. Uh, the, Robin Hood with a lot to prove and honestly an underrated squad coming with a lot of Dutch influence in the Surinamese league now, uh, at this time. Uh, and then FC Cincy, the Supporter Shield winners against perhaps the strongest team in Liga MX in Monterrey. Um, that one's on Thursday along with Nashville and Inter-Miami. Messi is going to be returning to the Champions Cup against, you know, Nashville, they're going to probably pack it in and defend really tight, but, I mean, we can kind of count on Messi to pick them apart, don't you think? So we've got a lot to look forward to in the Champions Cup. With these extra matches and extra teams involved, now the round of 16 is starting normally. This is would be the beginning of the competition, so I think we've got some good games out of the way, and we're going to get some great ones moving forward. To finish up, we are going to briefly talk about something in the women's game, and I'm not sure if you guys... Uh, saw it. I know Diego definitely saw it. <laughs> but the U.S. women's national team, admittedly, under interim coach Twyla Kilgore, have not figured it out. Yeah, like they looked horrible. They looked absolutely dreadful. It looked like I was, I was watching a team that had never been to a World Cup before, let alone won four of them. I mean, you look at this game, particularly. Mexico's second goal was a very much sort of what are we doing here yeah, type of goal yeah. where defensive miscues, keeper is a mile a mile outside of where she should be, and then composed finish. But it you're right. It seems like in recent years, it's a U.S. women's national team that almost doesn't realize that they are playing for the women's right. national team. It, it it's become so much a, I I hate this word but it's like very much an ego based squad it seems like and I kind of thought when they lost in the World Cup that it would sort of knock them down a peg and make people realize like hey things aren't going so well but it really doesn't seem like that's the case and I just have to wonder if do you think that that's a coaching issue do you think it's a prestige of the team issue or do you think it's it's a player issue it's 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 a it's a it's a culmination of you know there's a lot of pressure on the US women's national team. Let's not forget that. And when the results aren't there, maybe you think the pressure mounts a little bit higher or less depending on how you look at it. You can make an argument for either case. Like when you can win back-to-back World Cups, the pressure is all-time high because you have to win another one or else it's a failure. You know, you could go to the World Cup final and still fail. For a lot of countries, that wouldn't be a failure. But now that you're hosting the Gold Cup, and this is the first time they've ever done it in the women's edition, and I look at the group stage and I'm thinking, oh, Mexico and U.S. in the same group at the Gold Cup? What are, what are they doing? They're going to lose all the money by not forcing it to be the final like they always do for the men's. And then I see the, the lineup that they trot out. Alyssa Nair, Abby Dahlkemper, Becky Sauerbrunn, Crystal Dunn, Lindsey Horan, Lynn Williams, Rose Lavelle, Sophia Smith, Trinity Rodman. This is, these are your heavy hitters of the future. And they don't realize, perhaps, I'm not saying this is the case, but the players maybe collectively don't realize what the stakes are. 
you know, this is your first chance. This is a tournament on U.S. soil. This game was played in the home stadium of the L.A. Galaxy, and you fall 2-0 at home to Mexico, who are not the same as they are in the men's game, mind you. Liga MX uh, Femenina is growing at perhaps even a higher rate than NWSL is. Of course, the NWSL is much, much higher in terms of a level. But let's be real here. This is a Mexican team that looked like they had so much to play for. And this U.S. team kind of just trotted out there like they didn't. They were already through to the next round. But let's get real. This is the CONCACAF Women's Gold Cup. To proceed out of the group should not be an expectation. Obviously, their expectation should be nine points out of nine. And you don't concede a damn goal. Let alone go down and get dos acerros in your own country by your biggest rivals. Who, mind you, aren't even their rivals at the women's level. But Diego... You're going to have more perspective on the result from the Mexican side. So this is why I want to bring you into it. What, like, how, how inspiring is this win, and, and what could it mean for, for the, the sport in Mexico for, for women? Look, I, I've been a huge fan of uh, Liga, uh, Liga MX Femenil. I am a Rayadas supporter, personally. Mm, okay. I, I love myself uh, going to the games. It's always so fun. Um, I, I catched a 7-0 win at Leon, but that's besides the point. The point is this is the biggest game in Mexican soccer period in the past 30, 40 years. I think this is the same level as us winning the Confederations Cup. Wow. Because this just doesn't just speak about how we won something, but it's about how we are going to head. Mm-hmm. Um. Looking at this team, Maria Sanchez, Diana Ordonez, the two Houston Dash players, um, we see um, Greta Espinosa, who I absolutely adore. You see Kiana Palacios. Like, these are all players that are really establishing themselves, not just because of their talent, but because of how bad they want it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned complacency with this U.S. team. That's something that this Mexican side does not have, doesn't even know. Um in, in a, doesn't even know. I love that. In in Mexico, at least, Liga MX, the men's side, at least, dominates so much to a point where these 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 gals have to put in every drop of sweat, blood, tears, everything, just to get an ounce of the viewership, an ounce of the ticket sales, mm-hmm. and this is huge for them. I am so proud of this team. I saw the the second goal and I was like, "This is the Gio 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 goal from yeah. from all <laughs> the, the way back then." Um, How about Lisbeth Ovalle's goal as well? Very well taken. It, it looked coarse. I, I mean, she's no. a stud as well, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hamper on it saying I was surprising. But I mean, the result is it's a shock. It's I, a shock, even though you know that the U.S. have been trending down and Mexico have been trending up. That you never in a million years thought they would they I, would do this. I I totally agree, but. It's also just the fact that it actually happened. Mm-hmm. That's the real shock. Because throughout yeah. this these couple last couple of years, you really noticed this trend in women's soccer. A country beating the US in like a random friendly or anything, and then the US underperforming in a tournament that follows. It's because all of these teams who are historically weaker in the women's game are noticing they can actually beat the the, the U.S. Um, women's national team now. Mm-hmm. They can actually win. And with that, like, fire, th- like, it has really sparked, like, a huge generational shift for women's soccer, and especially in Mexico. 
I think part of the reason for that is you have to look at and think the reason the U.S. men's team is so is behind is because this wasn't something that this country put a lot of focus into, and right. now we're getting better as they do it. But the U.S. was one of the first countries in the world to Title focus, nine, baby. to yep. focus on women's yep. on women's soccer, and now you're kind of seeing the other teams catch up because they started looking at it like 20 years ago, uh-huh. and so now that generation's coming up. But like you're saying, I think it's hilarious that i think the u.s women's national team full well knows that like what i just laid out absolutely that that they know that these other countries are going to get better so then why are you dragging out 34 year old alex morgan in the 46 minute to come and try to save you it's not going to work it's shown that it won't work i think but i think it's because they're trying to i guess it almost seems like they're trying to say hey remember all (laughs) these all these girls won world cups Mm -hmm. and this is the team we're supposed to be when in reality, I think those are the ones who I think I need to see more leadership from the up instead of looking to them to be like, come save us or try to and and say, like, we we expect more. I think I think I need to see more leadership from the old guard of the U.S. Women's National mm-hmm. Team. I need to see more of let's not take out Alex Morgan for Sof- uh, Sophia Smith in the 40 in the 46 minute. I don't think that should be a thing. Right. I, I think. It makes me kind of wonder what's going on because Sophia Smith is the best woman is the best woman soccer player, debatably, debatably one of the best in the world. I think she's she's definitely the best American. I would say definitely. Yeah. Well, she won. Yeah. I mean, she won she the NWSL yeah, yeah. Player of the Year. Yeah. Portland and, Thorns represent. And, <laughs> and I think I I would like to see more of. There should be more chemistry there between yep. between between the two. I mean, Alex Morgan and Sophia Smith very similar. Very similar sort of trajectories, very similar career. And I would say similar play styles in, yeah. the, in the way that they, they mm-hmm. lead the line up front. You know, they both pose a threat in behind, both good at, you know, coming to find the ball and interchanging with wingers. And I think that's what made Sophia Smith so dangerous is her versatility to play as, you know, like a poacher in behind and as well as someone who can facilitate build-up play. And it's why a player like Alex Morgan was so dangerous for so long at the women's ranks. But I, I agree, it's not so much that I, I think that they, you know, needed to lean on Alex Morgan to say, all right, this is who we need to go get a goal. But, like, Sophia Smith is should be expected, you know, you you step up in this moment. You be the, mm-hmm. you be the one mm-hmm. that we rely on. And that's why I loved seeing the front line that it was. Lynn Williams, Sophia Smith, and Trinity Rodman. Now, Lynn Williams is uh, several years older than both of them. But she's still only just getting chances with the women's national team now, and 100%. she's been an absolute game changer uh, in Gotham FC in their title uh, for the NWSL last season. So I really liked what what I saw in terms of a personnel change, but I didn't like the outcome because it looked like much of the same. Yeah, and I I have this one huge principal fear when it comes to this U.S. team, which is another reason why Mexico won, uh, because Mexico showed they played for passion Mm -hmm. they played with like a fire are the u.s teams especially the women's team they have are they are they a country or are they a brand yeah i are like i am so like deeply because it doesn't look like they're representing their country it mm -hmm. looks like they're representing a brand i mean i don't know how to answer that but i think that that makes a lot of sense i mean you put it like that it does feel a bit like maybe the ideas have kind of um you know taken second fold to 
appearance maybe in, in some stances, yeah, but it, I, I, I do think that there is a World Cup winning team within the ranks of the U.S. still. Of course it is. It's the most talented group yeah, in the world. Definitely. But until I see a change of, of results uh, on uh, in, in, in meaningful games too, this is this is the first time that they've had this competition, and I I can't say that I'm uh I'm 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 inspired to watch them moving on, and it's not gonna get any easier because you know who they play in the knockout round, Colombia, who we all saw do wonderful things at the Women's World Cup last summer, um and Mexico's got Paraguay, that's a winnable game. It's a winnable game. Brazil Argentina the greatest rivalry in South America at the women's game. And then Canada, Costa Rica. And Canada, you know, you should uh, expect to be the favorites there. USA has the toughest matchup of any of the teams remaining, if you ask me. And I don't think they're going to have a lot of confidence going into it. They're going to feel a lot of pressure. And that only mounts and makes things worse. So I, I, I don't ha- I'm not very bullish about the U.S.'s chances to win the CONCACAF Women's Gold Cup. Yeah, which even, even knowing how much worse they've gotten... I never thought you'd hear me saying. With that said, Emma Hayes starts the job after this competition in May of 2024, perhaps the most sought-after women's coach in the game, so maybe they turn things around. But for now, it's not so inspiring. Fellas, that was a a great talk about all things around the world. Um, One thing we didn't mention is just kind of how I'm going to end the show. Did you guys see what happened to Paul Pogba? Yeah. 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 It's sad, but at the same time, don't. Don't don't do drugs, kids. Don't don't, do drugs. Don't dope. I I don't know. I think he, as a Manchester United fan, I think he's someone who I will always remember very fondly. But at the same time, I think... But not for his time at Manchester United? No. Well, I I remember the days in 2018 when he was kinging balls around everywhere. He was... you know, he had his struggles. He was very injury prone, but he was always one of those players who I was drawn to. Uh-huh. But I really do think, unfortunately for him, I mean, he's a World Cup winner, but I think this might tarnish his legacy. I, because he was already at that age where he was going to retire almost. I think he had some years, but when I first saw this, I kind of wonder if I'm Paul Pogba and I know this is going to happen. Why did he not retire? You're not coming back after four years, a- unless it's like. It's a career that appeals or something. I, I, yeah. I guess I, it's a it, his career has been muddled by controversy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had his brother allegedly try to rob, like, was in a group that like what robbed, yeah, yeah, Florentino yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, the one who came and played for Atlanta United. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, I didn't know he was that. like he got like he, he like robbed. I'm pretty sure he robbed Paul Fogg with like three other guys. Oh, okay, I didn't know. I didn't know his brother was involved. Yeah, his brother was involved. His brother was in it. I, yeah. I knew that story. Yeah, yeah, no, his brother was no involved. Way. You know what? It all That's crazy. <laughs> I think this curse uh, to add some humor to a sad situation. It all it all goes um it all goes back to it was it's the curse of the goat under Old Trafford. You know, that's the meme is Paul Pogba buried a go under Old Trafford that cursed us and Anthony Martial saw it. And I think, you know what, he tried to curse us and I think it brought us some bad luck. It brought him some bad luck. So I think don't wish on other people what you don't want to happen to you is all I'm going to say. Well, I think that's a pretty good message that we can end the show on. (laughs) Uh, I mean, we got through a lot. We got talked all through uh, European Cup soccer as well as um, European League play. Talked a little bit about American League play and American Cup soccer, both domestic and continental, as well as some international stuff on the women's side. So I want to thank Trey Rodriguez behind the glass for stepping in. First time producing on the air. So 
a great job back there for Diego Martinez and for Griffin Stevenson. I've been James Burley. Thank you guys so much for joining us on FUVFC. FUVFC is a production of WFUV Sports. <laughs>